0: John 11, 1 to twenty seven says this now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill, so the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill." but when Jesus heard it, he said. Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I must go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he had meant taking a rest and sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. into the world. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the powerful testimony it is of who you are and what you have come to do for us and what you're doing in us even now. God, thank you that the truth that you've... um, revealed to us here, gives us purpose and meaning in life and beyond this life. Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit would be here with us now, speaking in these moments as we proclaim your truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> you are not static. Did you know that? You are not static. Uh, You're changing. Sometimes we forget that, like, in life, change is being affected upon us constantly. Each experience that we're walking in shapes us distinctly. It's easy for us to either get uh, very comfortable with who we believe we are or apathetic, toward who we feel we are. But we're changing. And, and God is at work in changing us. See, i um, was looking for an illustration to demonstrate this. A nice object that isn't really going to change much. This is my planner. It's a book and it has pages. It has no ability to think. Has no heart or emotion. it is a book, and it will be a book until it disintegrates, you know into dust some many, many, many years from now. it's not going to change, right? In this particular planner, um, I 've put a lot of things that I hope change in my life. it's a goal-oriented planner. it's a planner where you write down a uh, number of goals that you have for the coming year and, and write down how you might go about achieving those goals and, and what that might be. But the planner itself is not going to change. I'm the one that has the potential to change. One of the things in there is that uh, uh, one of my goals in the next few months is to, on a regular basis... On a weekly basis, to be more specific, uh, that I would ride my bike to the coffee shop three times a week. I should be able to accomplish that. So far, I've accomplished it once in the past one month that I've tried. (laughs) That's pretty dismal. You see, but we've got to start with the perspective that we can change, that we can go from one spot of where we are and who we are to another spot. And, and that's true of us. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we are either comfortable with who we have become or we're, um, we, we don't care about changing who we are. Think, uh, well, wait, well, I can't change. I'm just going to be who I am. And I would say to you that the passage today challenges us in a totally opposite direction. Not only does it tell us that we can change, but it also tells us that God is at work in helping us change. He, in fact, desires us to change. In this one event here, really half of the entire event, uh, you guys may have heard the story of Lazarus. Lazarus is dead, as you might have heard me just declare from this text. Uh, But in our next week, we'll see that Lazarus is raised from the dead by Jesus. And in this one instance, this one half of a story, really, uh, Jesus shows us that he is concerned about shaping our hearts. He's concerned about changing us from one thing to another. He does two things to show us this to the most close people in his life, to those disciples that have been following him, and to this family of Martha and Mary and Lazarus, who, who are also close followers of him. He does two things that shows them that he cares about them, about their faith, about their understanding of who God is and what God has for them. He cares about them specifically. I love this about Jesus because he's not concerned about like garnering this humongous crowd. Right? At the end of three years of ministry... 120 people show up to anticipate what he said would happen. Three years of ministry by God and at the end of his life there are 120 there waiting to trust in what he said. Jesus is concerned about the hearts of those 120 and he went painstakingly to demonstrate to them and to shape them in such a way that they knew wholeheartedly that though Jesus had died, He would rise. And that though Jesus had gone, what he promised would come, the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus in in two things shows us that he desires to shape the hearts of those closest to him. I think what we'll see in these two things is is this simple truth. The, The only way for us to know, to really know the depth of God's love for us is to experience his limitless redemption that comes to bear on our lives. The only way we know how much God loves us is in those moments where He demonstrates to us, experientially, His limitless redemption for us. So we're going to talk about two things, uh, two things that happen. First, among His disciples, and second, among Martha and her family. So first, what's happening, what's happening here? What, what's happening here is that Lazarus, a dear friend of Jesus, is ill. Very ill. And someone comes and sends word to Jesus that, uh, that his good friend, Lazarus, and who John says, whom you love, is ill. And Martha sends messengers to, to have him come. And Jesus says something funny. Or or John records something funny. He says, When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. I mean, really, the anticipation of Martha and her family in sending for Jesus when their brother was sick, this brother that Jesus himself very much loved, their anticipation was, Jesus will certainly come and heal this man. He loves Lazarus, he will come back quickly. But Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, he hangs on a couple days where he's at. He doesn't even leave immediately. It's it's a far journey. He doesn't even set out. He just waits a couple days. So he waits a couple days, and and then after a couple days, he says, um, let's go ahead and go to Judea tells his disciples, verse 7, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples say to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? See, the place where Lazarus is, is a place called Bethany. John calls it out. The reason he calls it out is because it's just a couple miles away from Jerusalem. You might remember last time Jesus was in Jerusalem, he claimed to be the son of God. (laughs) He claimed to be one with the Father. And for that blasphemous claim in the eyes of the Jews, they were going to stone him to death. So I don't know about you, but generally when someone's out to kill me, I don't usually want to like, return near their presence. Jesus says to his disciples, why don't we go back to Judea again? A couple things are probably confusing to them. First of all, you were just told that Lazarus was really sick and you didn't go immediately. Now you want to go. He's surely dead by now. Uh, if he was that sick, and, and you're putting your own life in danger. The disciples say, those who are seeking you are, are, are still there seeking to stone you. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? And if, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Jesus, in effect, returns to them and says, listen, God has called me to do something, and I'm going to do it, regardless of how dark it may seem. Because when you're walking in the light, you can see, right? That's, the, that's sort of the example that he's giving. When you're walking in the light, you can see confidently what step is before you, right? Right? But when it's dark and maybe, you know, the lights are out in your house and you're trying to get across the toys that are strewn across the floor and, uh, you know, anyone been there before? Um, <laughs> you know, you're stumbling about, guess what? You're, you're going to make a fall. He says, during the day, if you're walking in the light, then you'll see the path plainly uh, as to what you ought to do. But if you're walking in the dark, you will stumble. Jesus has already told them, I'm the light of the world. I'm confident in in what is before my path. And this is what we need to do. Let's go back to Judea again. See, he's not concerned about anything that might happen to him, those that might come against him. He's concerned about doing what is right, regardless of what circumstances around. Those who are guided by the light walk with complete confidence. Those who walk about in darkness stumble. So after saying this, it says, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Jesus says I've been talking about his death. He speaks plainly to them. Verse 14, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Why did Jesus wait? Or why was he glad he wasn't there, right? In this case, he says, for your sake, I am glad I was not there. Because if if Jesus had been there when Lazarus had become ill, he certainly would have revived him. He says, I'm glad. I'm glad that he was ill and that you're going to see what you're going to see. That you may believe the extent of my power. Thomas boldly says, well, let us go that we might also die with Jesus. You can see that Thomas is willing to go to any length to be with Jesus. I'm sure the other disciples may not be exactly as enthusiastic as Thomas is. But Jesus' clear desire in this episode is that for your sake, you may believe. That's why I'm glad I wasn't there. You can see what's about to happen. All right, so Jesus gets there and he finds that Lazarus had been in a tomb for four days. So he's not just like, just died. He's like, dead, dead. Jesus has been there for four days. And, uh, and as was the concern of the disciples, there in Bethany, many Jews have been coming back and forth to console Martha and Mary and the family. This might indicate to us that Mary and Martha's family was of some prominence in Jerusalem, and that's why many people are coming back and forth a couple mile journey to come console them. But nevertheless, lots of people are in Bethany there mourning the death of Lazarus. So Martha hears that Jesus is coming and goes out to him um, and says this to him in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. See, Martha knows that if Jesus had been there, he would have healed him. He would have, he's, they've seen him do miracle after miracle. They've seen him uh, give sight to the blind. They've seen him and heard of him turning water into wine. They've seen him walking on waves. They've seen the miracles. They know that he's powerful, that he has all things in control in his hands. You know, if he would have been here with this one that he loved, he, he would have certainly healed him. But he wasn't. And he wasn't not there on accident. He wasn't not there because he cared. He wasn't not there because of his love for Mary and Martha. He let Lazarus pass away so that Mary and Martha would know deep inside the one they've placed their faith in is true. They would be tested that. Jesus cares deeply for them. That's why John emphasizes it so, you know, a, a couple of times throughout this, which is significant. He says, Lazarus, the one you loved, uh, Martha and her sister Lazarus, whom you loved. He's repeating it, saying, listen, Jesus' actions look like they uh, have disregard for this family, but Jesus loved this family, and he intentionally stayed away that their faith might grow stronger. So Jesus says to her, Your brother will rise again. And she, believing in a future resurrection, um, says uh, correctly, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I, mean, I, I know there's like an end times, and that at some point uh, he will be risen. And we'll have his new body and and we'll go into eternity and it'll be a beautiful thing. Like, I know that there's a resurrection and he'll rise at that time. And uh, Jesus says, no, no, I am the resurrection and I am the life. He says to her, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? There's two types of death that he's talking about here. First, whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. Right? We all are going to die. Sorry to let you know that fact, but 100% of us, certain as death and taxes and all that, you know, whatever, anyway. Uh, we're all going to die. As Jesus says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he will live. Again, faith in Christ restores you to God the Father eternally. And yeah, when you die and you've got faith in Jesus to cover your sin, he welcomes you into heaven with his Father. But Jesus says another thing. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. What's the deal, Jesus? We're going to die, but we're never going to die? He's the resurrection and the life. Yes, he is the one that will raise us at the end, and, and we will live forever, even though we perished physically. But he's also the life. I'm the resurrection, and I am the life. That means that your life with Jesus starts now. The, the, the change that he wants to effect upon your soul and the drawing nearer and nearer to God starts now. He is the life. Everyone who lives today and believes in me shall never die. See, physical death is a reality, right? But if eternity starts now, physical death, though it's a reality, is a blip on the radar of eternity. Do you believe this? He says to Martha. She says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, do you not think that this story, this experience, has transformed something inside of Martha and inside of these disciples? It most certainly has. Lazarus has not yet raised, okay? Okay. He hasn't even raised up. He might have raised up back there. <laughs> oh. Lazarus has not yet raised. And here we hear Martha saying, yes, I believe you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. Jesus' love for her has been realized deeply in her soul. Regardless of what happens, her trust is shown to be completely in Jesus. The, the same for Thomas and the disciples. All right, Lord, you want to go to Judea? I trust you. Let's go. We'll die with you. This experience, this this challenge that Jesus has put forth by simply not going back to heal his friend, has done amazing things in the soul of these close friends of His. And here they sit, wondering what's going to happen next. Jesus is the resurrection and he is the life. There's a few things that I want to go with this morning. First, live with the passion of Thomas. I mean, can you imagine this man? We, We know later on that he's doubting Thomas and wants to put his fingers in the holes and really see that this is Jesus that is raised from the dead. We'll talk about it later. But, here he is, and, and Jesus says, hey, we're going to go back to that place where everybody hates you and wants to kill you. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> okay. Live with the passion of Thomas. He knew enough to trust Jesus. And when Jesus does raise, what do he say? My Lord and my God. Full trust and faith in who Jesus is even at this moment. I think he gets a bad rap for doubting, you know? But I never realized this story was there where he's ready to go and lay down his life or whatever comes. Live with the passion of Thomas and know this, that the love of God allows life to build our faith. God's love for you and for me allows everything we've been through and everything we will go through. He allows it. Why? To torture you? No. Why? To make you feel sorrowful and bitter about life's troubles? No. Not at all. The love of God allows life to build our faith. The call on us is is to endure knowing that God loves you through life. He loves you through every moment of life. I wanted to share this uh, this text that I read uh, from a commentary this week. Um, the commentary is by Bruce Mil- Milne. Um, and so there's a little bit of a chunk here, but I want to read it. I think it's helpful to us. It says this. Our natural response is to rebel against them, that is, uh, sufferings and difficulties and struggles that we have in life, to rebel against life. As alien intruders to us, these things that bring discomfort, which must be expelled from our lives as quickly and painlessly as possible by every means available, including by God's miraculous intervention. With hindsight, however, another perspective is possible. We can offer our trials to God. For him, either to remove or retain them as he pleases thereby bringing glory to his name and deepening our faith and possibly that of others too. He then cites a couple of examples and you may have heard these people. I don't know if you've heard these people or not, but the first is uh, Joni Erickson Tata. Anybody know Joni? Joni became a paraplegic uh, after taking a, a, I guess, a, a dive in water and at 16 years old she became unable to use her uh, lower portion of her body Became paraplegic and authentically expressed this second alternative to enduring life's struggles she says this I do not care if I am confined to this wheelchair provided that from it I can bring glory to God could you say that? I don't know how about you depend on your legs and your body to do things, but I can't even comprehend being able to say that. I sure hope that I would. I don't care if I'm confined in this wheelchair, provided I can bring glory to God. The same conviction expressed uh, by a missionary to China, um, Inland China Mission, Hudson Taylor, says this, trials afford God a platform for his working in our lives. Without them, I would never know how kind, how powerful, and how gracious he is. See, while he, blind, Milne goes on to say, while we may feel daunted by the heights of devotion reflected in these quotes, we can all make a beginning in our present pains by offering them consciously to God for his using. From such small seeds, a new maturity can blossom. What does he want to say there? Listen, you might not become a paraplegic. You might not face trials of a missionary in China, okay? But it is just as important for us in the difficulties we struggle with today to offer those things to the Lord for his working upon our souls and upon our lives. Because God desires to bring about change in our lives. That's why he's brought us to where we are. That's why he's allowing us to go through what we go through. Not that we might turn bitter toward him because of difficulty, but rather in faith that we would trust him as Christ, as the son of God. Without knowing whether he's going to raise us from the dead or not, like he did Lazarus, right? I mean, remember, Martha says, yes, I believe you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. She doesn't have the benefit of our understanding of the coming passage. She doesn't know that in just a few short hours, Jesus is going to go to that grave and say, Lazarus, come out. In fact, she might likely think that that's not what's going to happen, that Lazarus is gone. He's been gone four days, and yet here she says, I believe you. You're the Christ, You're the son of God. Perhaps, maybe, God is allowing trial to show us how kind, how powerful, and how gracious he is. See, our eternal purpose when we do die will be to worship Jesus. And I don't know there's not a lot to tell us exactly what that's going to look like if we'll like do jobs that are worshipful to Jesus or just be all, you know, sitting around in a circle singing beautiful songs to him in the best manner possible, you know? We don't really know. It's not like a lot of clear definition of the agenda that will be there. But what we do know is that there certainly will be worship of Jesus in all that we do. That it'll be our eternal purpose to lift up the Son Jesus and the Father in the Spirit. To, to worship God as the source of our life eternally. But I would challenge us that, that we can walk in that today. And, and there's just one difference between walking in that today and, and when we will walk in that in the future. See, so today we are got this this broken body that has desires that aren't good for its own self you know how much my body probably aches to ride the bike down here three times a week be so much better for my long term health and you know The only difference between worshiping God today and worshiping God in in eternity is that in eternity we'll be completely uninhibited from doing so. 100%. It won't even be a thought in our mind, it'll just be a beautiful experience that we get to enjoy forever. But today we live and we're still broken. And daily, we have to lay ourselves down. I challenge you with this passage from Romans. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is our spiritual act of worship? Not yielding to the flesh, but rather laying down our flesh before the Lord in worship. And don't get discouraged. God knows this is a process. I mean, listen, he let Lazarus die to teach Martha. And, and the disciples, a lesson, right? He knows there's a process. That there's a shaping of our heart that has to be done. And it, and it takes life to shape us into that. And so it says in 2 Corinthians three fourteen to 18, but their minds were hardened for to this day, when, uh, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil is over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord the veil is removed. And this is what I want you to cling on to. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. I challenge you, if you heard my quotes from uh, Joni and from Hudson Taylor, these great pillars, to know one degree of glory to the next. You don't have to become the saint of all saints to be a saint, <laughs> okay? You simply have to trust the Lord today from one degree of glory to the next. Philippians 1, 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Our eternal purpose will be to worship Jesus. We can start that now by yielding to the Lord in every single moment that we have. Trust and know that the love of God allows what you're going through in life to build your faith. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the way in which you work in our lives. The way in which you care for us and and know every circumstance we're in. And Lord, I pray that we would yield to you. That we would trust you. That we would know that whatever we're going through, you know it. And you feel it. And you felt it more than we've even felt it and you love us. So God, help us not to rebel against the, the tension and the struggle that we face in life of not maybe realizing our, what our potential should be or not really coming to the full fruition of what we want to be, but Lord, help us rest in you, that you're the one drawing us closer to you from one degree to the next, that you're the one doing a work in us that you will complete, and that our simple response is to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you, giving you each day, giving you each hour, giving you each moment. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.